Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Shilowitz and Roni Abovitz for This Week in XR. It's February 10th, 2023. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Ba- bagel in hand and ready for podcasting. Our, our guest today is John Carafin, whose company... Uh, Lightfield Lab just um, raised another $50 million. They've got an all-star list of investors for this new technology uh, they call solid, that makes something called a solid light hologram. And it actually is something made out of light. It emanates from flat panels. They're looking at the display market. John, John is a great guy. He's one of the former Lightro guys, Ted. So yeah. you, you and John must know each other. Oh yeah, we know each other well. It's actually so, really interesting because so I actually was in San Jose two weeks ago. So I went and saw this thing. In fact, I think I mentioned it to you, Ted. I we mean, did, it, we were talking it really it. makes an impression on you because it's a thing that appears to be solid, and you stick your hand through it, and it's made of light. Yeah, it's it. I would say this is the one potentially relevant technology that I have still yet to get my eyes on. And I was actually at John's office a couple of years ago, and they just weren't quite ready to demo it. So I, I'm still in the dark about it. And I, you know, we were talking offline. I still have this curiosity: is it? And you've seen it. I haven't. Is it fundamentally better than what's going on now with 8K displays? converging a 3D non-glasses image. That's my, my I have very a, big curiosity. I, I, I've only seen the small scale demos. You know, I want to see what it really looks like on the right. side of the building and right. and does it do Blade Runner, right? right? That's that's sort of to me where when they say it's the display market, yeah, they're going to do a building in Times Square and the giant sneaker or whatever is going to rotate over, you know, the intersection of, you know, 43rd Street and Broadway. Yeah. And you know what's so interesting about just entertainment and visuals as a general theme and thesis is that effect can be done and is actually done today, and Roni, you might know a little bit about this, by effectively just using a false frame around the LED so that your eye gets tricked into thinking that the object in the frame is actually three-dimensional, and it is shockingly, surprisingly good. Like, you're, well, you know, I mean, you're the, LA Live. Looking Glass does this. They're, they're no, 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 this is not looking, this is not that. This is oh, literally no. a 2D image with a visual trick where they basically take the edge of the LED panel, set a frame around it, an artificial frame, and then create the illusion of 3D depth. And it is like, next time you go down to LA Live, Charlie, in in Los Angeles, you'll see some Nike ads and things where they do this trick and a couple of makeup and perfume ads. And you look at it and go, wow, is that actually a 3D billboard? And it's not, it's just your brain it's fascinating to see how well it works. I don't know if you if you've seen it, Rody, but it is fascinating. I, I, I've seen it. There's a lot of like it's it's super cool. I guess Charlie, this will be a very interesting show because I know way 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 too much about this topic. Um, <laughs> one of the founders of Zebra, which was the leading um, hologram and digital hologram company in the United States when I was starting Magic Leap, uh, joined joined early as Magic Leap as one of our chief scientists. So I I just have like 
and and they were building something like uh, what Lightfield Labs is doing. Actually, spent a lot of time with the guys at Lytro uh, early on. W but one of the questions I'm going to have for him, uh, which may be super nerdy for this audience, but like, is it actually a hologram? Like, one of my pet peeves is the misuse of the word hologram, uh, a widely it, abused word. Yeah, because <laughs> it's okay. There's all these different visual phenomena, and I think of hologram as a very specific kind of thing that people who've been studying holography for like almost a hundred years are probably also super into. And we've yeah, asked them that. The illusion, the illusion of volume versus actual pixel volume, right? It's a very interesting distinction. Uh, it's more of like what, it's like a, a physics and math definition of how the wavefronts are of light mm -hmm. are captured onto a particular substrate, right? right? And, and is that actually what's happening? If you, if you go back to the old classic holograms on like holographic film, uh, and they've gone from like monochromatic to color and zebra to these very amazing full color static holograms. Are they doing the digital version of that right. or is it an auto stereoscopic trick on a display, which is something else? Did either of you ever go to the hologram museum in Soho back in the day? There was a, on Mercer Street, there was a holographic, true photographic hologram museum. And I went a bunch of times and I lived in New York and it was remarkable. They had yellow sort of amber ones they had green ones and they had red ones because you know, they were all um coherent light uh, photographs but they are truly an actual representation of I the would, object i would encourage you guys to take a look at the videos that are on my column this week of yes. what uh, lightfield labs has done and again they're small scale compared to what they're planning to do and yeah. their, their target market is as i said giant billboards um you know, museums and and the holograms appear to be solid. They don't appear, you know, they they look like an animatronic. Clearly, so we're all well lit animatronic, but when you stick your hand through it, it is not there. Right, Charlie. One quick question: Have you ever done the floating penny, which is a classic light field where there's a penny and kind of yeah. a like a curved mirrored thing, and then the there's a solid perfect light field reproduction of the penny. You put your finger through. And you swear it's there. And, and it's just not there until it's there. Yes, there. I, ha have, I have seen that. Like that? And uh, this is not that. This is not that. I mean, no, is it like that? And it's perfect. Like that little it, trick is a perfect light field of a real penny. Yes, it's yes. You stick your hand through it and it's like it's not there. But when your hand pulls back, it's still there. Hmm. So uh, anyway, we'll to get to it. that with John. Let's, we have a few. Yeah, we cannot wait to see it. Uh, you know, I mean, some news that we used to consider big news, uh, such as, um, you know, RealWare, which is an industrial HMD. Uh, it's a monocular micro display that just sort of hangs off of a hard hat. It's not, you know, it's assisted, not augmented reality. Uh, they're going public via a, a merger with a SPAC. Um, you know, the SPAC's got $185 million in cash. Uh, and uh, RealWare sells... Uh, you know, makes about $20 million a year. So uh, really interesting, large deal. I mean, sort of enterprise has never gone away, but, you know, that's where we're seeing its scale expressed. Yeah, yeah, yet another tick mark in our longstanding philosophy, Charlie, that industrial and productivity use cases are the first profit veins of this type of stuff. Proves I thought my, my red flag handout, though, like, is this the time in the market? I, I, I do wish them the best. Is this the time to market though to A, go public and B, do it through a SPAC? Because I think SPACs have had Oof. some real issues. 
yeah. uh, the last couple of years and they, they were the new thing. And then th there's been a whole mixed bag around them. But like, is this, is this that moment of sentiment for investors to want to. It does it seem, seem rather 2021. At the end of the day, if they can pull it off, it's the right move. And if they can't, it's the wrong move. It's really yeah. what it comes yeah. down to. Oh, we wish them the best. We wish yeah, them the best. Absolutely. Um, there was a bunch of other financing news, actually. Um, Mawari, remember the AR cloud? Uh, you know, which was a sort of appless world where your uh, XR device, even, even if it's a phone, but any XR device with a browser is sort of always on, always connected, you know, like we don't need apps to, to run on the internet. So that was the idea behind the AR cloud. But it turns out that's really almost impossible to do because uh, you need a codec for compressing and decompressing the video. And um, you need a local node, just like Akamai provides for companies like Netflix to throttle and manage the bandwidth uh, so that there's no latency. Uh, and so there's a little company that has done this, Mawari. They were mostly bootstrapping and doing proof of concept uh, with, uh, you know, telcos like KDDI and uh, uh, T-Mobile. And, uh, and so they raised a bunch of money for, <laughs> it's a blockchain-based network. So the telcos provide the nodes and the bandwidth. Mawari provides its technology. You might have some localization uh, technology involved with this sort of a stack. And the people in the stack get a royalty based on usage that is paid by the user, let's say, Snapchat. Right. So, um, and so that would all be the royalties would be distributed via blockchain, probably tokenized. Right. So you have a marketplace, people are buying the um the AR cloud or access to the Yeah. If we took a certain number of keywords that were relevant in tech, I think a string of those together. <laughs> Uh, is affecting the chat GBT and see what comes out the other side. Investors are effectively funding every string of that, like AR cloud times this times that. That's a company, let's fund it. And I think what people are doing just flinging money at those keyword strings, hoping that one or two of them hit and they hit it 100. I, I really, I mean, it's just in their, yes, it but in their defense, <laughs> I have seen this, I've demoed what they're doing. It does work at the beginnings of their journey. And this is like, I think what you're referring to, Roni, is investing in a conceptual idea that makes complete sense to everybody that would look at it. Of course, it makes sense to de-weight the device and run just like we do the internet well, today. Right? Hugo Swart from Qualcomm, who's going to be our guest in two weeks, uh, has been talking about dual compute for years. Yeah. Yeah. And because he knows that they can't put enough horsepower in a device, they can't provide enough uh even electricity to do what it needs to do. It has to, you know, they have to take some of this processing. Well, here's, here's the metaphor, right? If you take everything that you do on your smartphone and had it all on-prem, your smartphone would weigh 7,000 pounds. <laughs> right. Wait a second though. This is the net appliance idea, which is like a 10, 15, 20 year old idea versus, yeah. look, I, I would argue that the iPhone has an amazing chip on it. And it does a whole bunch of local processing and some cloud-based processing. And I, I just think the world is going to keep going that way. Um, I Absolutely. Part well, anyway, good. congrats to Mawari. We, we need to get to John. Uh, looks like Accenture's making an investment in Looking Glass. 
Um, and oh, we're we're having um, the guys from Sandbox v, uh, location yeah. VR just got the Squid Game. <laughs> yeah, and they they do a lot of Star Trek stuff with us, so they do some LBE stuff with us on Paramount. Yeah, they're he, he's going to be on the show also. Yeah, that'll so, be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll, I mean, again, you know, math. I mean, how do they really pull it? That'll be more magic than the VR is. How is that a business? But we will see. I mean, they're, uh, you know, LBE VR uh, or location-based entertainment is certainly not going away. Uh, the VR part, uh, we shall see. So, um the one other thing I wanted to bring up, <clears throat> well, actually, Roni had a really big topic, but I think we're going to have to save that, which was that we started in the green room, one of those conversations where you have to stop yourself because you're going to burn up the entire conversation before you're recording. But Roni said he had a sense, you know, going over the news with us, being a, you know, a voracious news sound himself, talking to people all day long that XR... Uh, and there were more layoffs at Microsoft this week while they were taking a victory lap with AI. XR was taking another one to the face uh, at Microsoft. So Roni said, I feel like, well, you can say it in your own words, Roni. Um, you know, well, XR. It's a, big, it's a big exhale, right? And I think there's uh, the new cool. There's kid. a wired cover for you. The big exhale and the, the new cool kit is like, the newest form of AI and chat GPT. And a lot of companies are like, if you're on the XR team, you're getting fired, you're getting marginalized. But I think it's a mistake because we're in the middle period of XR. And some of the players who are not going to give up are actually going to get to the finish line and win in a disproportionate way. And then you'll kind of like pivot again and go, oh my God, that, it's cool again, right? It's like, it's like you couldn't give up on mobile uh, before the iPhone because you you just had to keep making progress until the definitive device arrived. And I think you have to have the endurance and staying power to go there, right? And like the who were the winners of mobile? It was Apple at the end. And all well, the people that were the early and mid players like just did not have the full strength to keep going. And they gave up and they lost the giant big prize at the end. So, so I was a lesson to be learned here, right? Look at Motorola, look at Nokia, look at Ericsson, look at everyone who came before. They stayed the course. It wouldn't have been Apple, but they gave the whole thing away to Apple who had the long-term patience to win. So Charlie, did you end up going to that uh, Google event in Playa Vista? Um, I did not. Okay, so uh, I, I gave a little talk there on video because I was double booked, had two talks to do. And I waxed philosophically on this topic and I'm very curious Roni, to see if you agree with this. My my sort of point of view on this trajectory is that all of these companies effectively threw too much resources, too much capital, too much everything at the problem so that they're trying to artificially create the market faster than the market is ready to be created. And therefore, do they learn from this and, you know, I'm at a Google conference and I'm saying, by the way, Google did this too. And, you know, self-admittingly, you and I are very close friends. I think Magic Leap did it a little bit too. Everybody went too big, too fast and tried to build something. Well, Clay Bavour just, just left, you know, Clay Bavour announced that he was leaving Google this week for, for, to do an AI startup of all things. I just think smaller. Here's one of the top better. VXR guys going AI. I just think smaller is better until the trajectory moment. And to the point about Apple, Apple learns to wait. They understand how to watch everybody else burn all the resources, learn from it, 
spend a lot less than people think, and then ramp up at the right time. And that's the, the lesson that I don't think gets learned by these big tech companies over and over and over again, especially the immature ones like Meta. They just don't understand it. That's just my philosophy on it. So whether it's valid or not, I don't know, but that's my philosophy. Let, let's, do, let's do a part two longer on the next right. show. Okay. Um, I think you're 70% right, but I think there's another part of it that's worth getting into. Okay, well, John's here, so... Yeah, we're bringing John in from the table room. next week. I, I, I hope he's done his hair. There he is, John! I have, good, I have indeed. Good, good to, to see, see you. We've been, we, we've been singing about holograms all morning. Thanks what, for coming the, to the show. Uh, what's the sound of the music sound like for uh, singing a hologram? Well, I think, first of all, I mean, I saw this with my own eyes. And as I've said in the story that I wrote, and as I've said to you many times, uh, every time you see it, it it makes a big impression on you because it's something you've never seen before, which is Thanks. something that is, appears to be real, right? In, in this case, you did a, a, a demo of like a floating head. It appears to be like an animatronic or some kind of Pepper's ghost trick, but you stick your hand through it and there's nothing there. And you pull your hand back and there is the, you know, seemingly real object again. So, uh, you know, it's not like anything, but um, I think the question we all had is, uh, of course, hologram is a word that's been widely abused. So uh, tell us why uh, the solid light hologram is a real hologram, but all of these other guys making holograms are really just really playing tricks on the eye. Well, uh, I appreciate the differentiation. I feel like I have to go through some HR training for the abuse of the word hologram. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the thing, but first of all, there, there's a lot of other technologies out there. And just to be clear, they are great technologies. There's nothing that um, inherently makes them less good. Uh, it's just the fact that they're not actually producing something that is interfering in midair to allow you to create the exact reflectance that would have originated had the object been there natively. So that is the major difference of what we're doing versus other things that talk about or market themselves as holographic is the fact that we want to make sure that you have a social ubiquitous experience where everyone is able to see this object floating in midair as if it was the real thing. So, so John, quick um, question. Uh, yeah. I, good I, to I know, see you again, by the way. Good to see you. I know, I know just way too much about this topic. And just for <laughs> yes, your, you do. I had the co-founder of Zebra as one of my employees for a while. Yeah, Michael, Michael, right? Yeah. So your your claim, and and I would be amazing that it's true, is that you are not doing multi-view, you're not doing auto stereoscopic, you're doing a honest to goodness, physics true, MIT hologram lab kind of hologram. Not not the way they did on static. But in a digital format, the real deal. Yes, that, that, that's correct. Now, it's very different than what MIT was doing for very explicit reasons. We are a white light hologram. We are explicitly non-coherent. And that is a very important point that we always highlight. And it makes it much more challenging uh, when you're dealing with broad spectrum. But we do control and modulate the amplitude we also control the phase in order to form our focal spots, and that creates your reflectance. Okay, no, that's awesome, because you are doing something different than sort of the coherent light, but immediately you're starting to answer the question, like, we're not just doing a 
we're, we're really looking at the physics of holography and bringing that in a digital panel format in, in a real way. That, that's correct. And uh, I don't know if you actually can see behind me the, the big stack of papers that I think, Charlie, you called it looked like we're going into the publishing business. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's just the published patent portfolio for the tech. And I, I, I highlight it because this is a very challenging deep tech. It goes into um, the, the molecular structures of these nanoparticles and a whole bunch of other things that uh, I won't bore the audience with. Um, but th this is a this is something that is extremely challenging to do, which is why we are building our team. We're scaling our team. We're building out manufacturing, and there's a lot more ahead of us. But uh, hopefully, as Charlie was able to see in person, and the two of you have a standing invite, of course. Um, I, I hope you were able to see that this is the beginning of something completely differentiated and a very unique experience where start thinking of objects, don't think of images. And Charlie, when you were here, um, I, I hope that was a reoccurring theme you heard that you no longer think of, do I render a 2D image or do I photograph a 2D image? It's now we have to create and uh, compute the wavefront for every aspect of what is being formed. And that's not like any other renderer or render engine. That's something very different. So the last time uh, I saw John, this is a sort of comical, sort of almost Silicon Valley entourage level story. Excuse me. Um, uh, I went up to the lab in San Jose and our flight was delayed and he had another like investor sort of meeting going on at the same time. And they literally couldn't show it to us. So it was there on site. He's like, you, like we had everything organized and it was all very kind of cloak and dagger and it was kind of fantastically awesome so it's <laughs> talking before the podcast that you know because i look at a lot of new technologies just like charlie and roni yeah. do this is the one thing i have still not seen with my own eyes um and i've been at presentations with you and talked with you and i've still not yet to see it um but we had a really interesting discussion earlier and i'm actually very curious if you or any of your staff either remember or have more importantly been to when it was in existence the hologram museum in new york city which was ah. a smaller museum in soho on mercer street and we were talking about coherent light what actually makes a hologram is the ability to take light at a certain frequency and a certain dynamic so it's coherent it is not a light spread like white light and you can actually make a duplicate of the depth but so far, to my knowledge, you can only do it with one spectrum of light. So when you see holograms, you'll see them in green or amber or red. You will not see them as RGB. So would you say that the big advancement that you're doing, in addition to actually making it move, so you're doing it at X amount of frames per second, is you've figured out a way to create a substrate that can do what a classic true hologram does, which is a true digital coherent light representation of the actual image, and you're now doing that in a visual way. Because my curiosity is, will this be better than what we can do now with super high res display, 8, 8K or 16K, so we can do 4K on each eye, so fidelity is really good, and we converge the image, and we can pull an image out in 3D, and at pretty large size now, because these screens are not a fortune, and create that illusion of really good three-dimensional depth. Is there a fundamental difference for the viewer I mean, I understand technically it's different, but from a view perspective, is it going to be that remarkable? That's the the two the two sided question to that. 
That is a extremely loaded question. And I think you are one in the entire planet that could ask uh, such an eloquent question there. So the the first thing about the museum, yes, awesome museum, love it. Uh, the, 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 the next point about the, uh, the color in a hologram, that has been done before with pulsed laser holograms. Uh, there's a lot of things that are out there that have done RGB. Some are doing six colors, some are doing seven color, but they're all on high res uh, photopolymers or oh, that place, of a right, piece yeah. of film, which means static. And those things can be absolutely gorgeous. I mean, some of the most beautiful, highest resolution, you're talking about grain structures down to uh, single digit nanometers, which is, I geek out on that stuff all day. I love it. Um, so in terms of the, the last part of your question, the, the experience for the viewer, the, the major innovation we have is the ability to bypass and get around the fundamental display and fabrication and physics limits that have been traditionally imposed upon display surfaces. So in our panels right now, we're building them as these modular um, video walls effectively. Each one of them has two and a half billion pixels that are now the samples for the wavefront. And then as you continue to scale out that surface, it becomes a larger and larger optical medium. So by doing that, you're making a large format experience that is able to form the focal spot in midair. So when you're talking about the differentiation between that as an object now compared to stereopsis with the stereoscopic display, those displays, again, are, are great. The 2D displays that, um, that they're leveraging are great, right? You got these 8K displays that are very high res, very beautiful. And that is always our metric to compare against from a visual quality standpoint. But there is a very distinct difference when you're looking at something either stereoscopic with uh, passive eyewear or active eyewear, like a head-mounted display, versus seeing something that is actually presented to you as if it is the real thing. The easiest way to understand it is as if, well, our goal fundamentally is we want you to say that was a great actor, not wow, that was a cool display that I was looking at. And that is what you'll start to see, particularly as we continue to scale. Yeah, the other thing that, that I know has issues with the auto stereoscopic, you know, no glasses 3D, is that it requires a camera or some sort of sensor to know where the viewer is looking. Um, so as far as I know, it can really only do effectively one person at a time and maybe small groups of two or three, because it has to know where your proximity is to the display to actually create the auto stereo without the glasses. And it is a remarkable effect when it works, when you're yeah, secret, sure. but your device doesn't have that limitation. Oh no. That's no, a no, big no, no, difference no. from my standpoint. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, and, and not only that, the, 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 uh, uh, sorry, just to wrap on that point real quick. Um, because we don't require any head tracking, any eye tracking, any tracking whatsoever, unless our customers want to use it for other UI element type things. And that's, right. uh, we provide that flexibility. Um, when you're talking about using auto stereo and the head tracking, uh, and there's a couple of companies that do that, and there's a couple of others, uh, obviously all the, the head tracking things, even at that, you're still forcing the eye to use stereopsis and focus at a particular plane. And there's a misnomer out there that if you were to bake in depth of field to the left eye and to the right eye, that it's equivalent. And that is in fact, not 
true because the eye needs the ability to have retinal blur to focus anywhere in space. And that is everything that we're providing is the, the ability to form the retinal blurs so that your eye can then track and focus anywhere that it wants. Yeah, well, Ronnie was working on that as part of yes, his background. Absolutely. The understanding yeah. of the eye tracking. Yeah. Christian, we, we're, we're, I feel like we've been climbing the same mountain from different roads. And I guess question for you, right. I love the physics and, and, and tech. I totally get what you're doing. Um, you, you, with like people like Ted and myself, we're, we we're plugged into so many sectors and so many companies. Like, who are the first three that are going to use this? Like sectors, and and, huh? and why this and not something else? Like, is it radiology or is it healthcare? Is it defense? Like, why? And it, like, dig into. They have access to an 8K display or 16 display or something. So why are they picking this? That would be just be kind of cool to hear you on that. Sure. I, I, I feel like I'm talking to an investor now. Where is your launch market? Um, and it really is the right question because we wanted to make sure as a company, we're not trying to find a market for something that's just cool. We already have customers, we already have contracts. And the first uses that you will see this launched within is the, the premium entertainment markets uh, within the premium segment of video walls, which is the fastest growing market in the display segment, you see corporate lobbies, you see casinos, you see anywhere that you have extremely high foot traffic and you're trying to differentiate and grab people's attention because everybody's on their phones, they're on their laptops, they're on their other screens, and they need to advertise to them or show them something that is unique. And that's where we're getting customers that come to us and say, I, I can't get people's attention. I need to grab them. We need a physical object, something that is so differentiated that it will grab your attention. And there is a huge customer base for that. And that is really where the 2D video wall market, particularly in the what's called the uh, uh, the fine pixel pitch or the narrow pixel pitch market, that's where they're excelling as well, because that is a extremely premium, very high quality, beautiful display market. And if we can be competitive, which is where our launch point, large price points are, um, we can take over that market, which is pretty exciting. We think. Yeah, there's there's a humongous display. I'm, I'm actually on my way to Vegas for some dev work uh, this weekend and next week um, in the Circa Hotel, which is kind of near Fremont Street. Yep. This kind of new hotel that they built there. And it has this amazing display for the sports book that they mostly kind of misuse, right? Because they mostly break it up into a whole bunch of sporting events because it's a sports sure. but every now and again they'll fire up all the pixels at once and run this like gigantic sporting event on it and you just sit there and you look at it and it is remarkable because the pixel pitch is so fine the thing must have cost a fortune yep. when i extrapolate to the future if you and your technology can do what you're saying it can do at that kind of scale that is Blade Runner. That is going to be a whole new world of what how we visualize things in public spaces. It's going so, to be fascinating. John, to add to Ted for a second, are we going to see like inside a Disney, inside a sports arena, like a giant wall? Like you have these huge walls of 8K displays. You're going to be like at that scale, at let's say 4K and above resolution. You think you guys are going to get there? Oh, certainly, certainly. Now, when you say 4K resolution, uh, I mean, we're well beyond that from a underlying sample standpoint. We're, I mean, magnitudes beyond that already. So I think 10 billion pixels per square meter is what we're already doing. And that's a somewhat product-driven requirement. We could go much higher density than that, and we could go much larger than that. So when you start to see the larger format walls, 
you'll see tens of billions, hundreds of billions of samples or pixels that were modulating in the larger formats. Now, with that said, that is the sampled wavefront modulation density, which is a big mouthful of words saying the output that is formed is a derivative of what is your target viewing distance, just like any other display. So, you know, your, your cell phone is the same resolution as your movie screen, effectively. Um, and it's a matter of where is your target given about a 30, 40 degree angle of view away. And that's usually what the... Um, so I know Charlie's chomping at the bit. I have another technical question. Try to no, no, keep going. Jump, jump right in. Um, <clears throat> you actually have never tested the large uh, screen that we're talking about, right? The, the you know, three-story tall projection of, you know, a football player. First of all, I mean, do you even know how far that would be projected into the air away from the projection surface? And um, when are you going to be able to test that? You must be chomping at the bit too, not just us. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we, we, we test our so Series yeah. B, and it's all about scaling manufacturing here. Uh, so not only have we not tested it, we need to build out the production line to go into the higher volume production to have multiples of these panels. But it is just like any other 2D video wall. You put them together, the seamless, the bezel-less. And that's what allows us to go to the larger and larger surfaces. Um, so you'll start to see those, but we have all the confidence in the world that not only does it work, but we can showcase it, we can show you it is a linear scaling of the computation behind it as well. Um, to answer that second part of your question about how far will it project, th there's a lot of variables there, and it is very, I'm going to call it application specific, in that if a particular customer is expecting you to build a large wall that people are offset from, from a significant distance, then you can project further and leverage the wavefront in a larger volume. If you're looking for things that um, kind of a, a, a different application or use case where you're, you want somebody to be able to reach and grab the hologram in a more close and more intimate viewing experience, your volumes will be uh, a bit more conservative, but then it's because your density has to be that much more um, significant. So there, there's different trades that you make in terms of how you create the the energy, how you form these wavefronts, how you form the cones of light, and there's uh, it's all customizable for our customers. It's a bit it's a bit like a Wright brothers discussion. I think we're all the three of us are very positive diplomatic skeptics right like should be. we have so much know. technical knowledge of the space between the three of us we understand your aspirations and your goals but we were back at kitty hawk we'd be the three guys that like yeah maybe maybe this will work i don't know i mean can you really get a plane up in the air and let it, you know, kind of like... well here, here here's the here's a question john um one of the most famous digital nft artists is a friend of mine for a long time um a guy named Beeple. He made this thing called yeah, Human sure. One, yeah. which was his panel building of the uh, illusion of a volumetric like astronaut walking. Uh, and at some point, he'll probably listen to this. So tell Beeple, how far away is he from having a Human One like, you know, Beeple on your device that you can walk into a studio or some installation and see something like a Human One at the scale it was presented? through your system, but way cooler, right? It's not trapped in a cage. It's like right there in the lobby of MoMA or the shed in New York or something. Like how far away are we from that? 
Well, it depends on uh, when he's ready to buy one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are we within are we within three years of that? Like, are we going to walk into the MoMA and instead of like the brilliant artist guy named Rafiq has this amazing panel wall happening right now at the MoMA of like all this AI art full scale, like a bunch of these 8K panels. When can you walk into the MoMA in that room and it's like just all floating around the room off of your stuff? Are we talking within three years at that sort of scale and resolution? Are we talking 10 years? Just order magnitude. So you're talking in the nearer term versus the longer term, but it's a matter of at what, um, where's your product market fit at what price point, right? So when you talk about the museum space, they are uh, very heavily funded, but it depends on which application, which museum, blah, blah, blah. I, and I hate to go into the uh, the business side of it. Sure. So when we're talking about for people, given that, uh, you know, what was his NFT for 69 million, right? Um, yeah, he he could be one of the first if you so elected. He'd be an early adopter, that, right? He could like be the kind of people that would adopter. buy that. Wouldn't yeah. they love that kind of art on one of your things? And it's like just floating in the living room of someone who's worth a billion dollars or something like that feels like a very early adoption place for what you're doing. It could be. It could be definitely. So if and uh, and I'm trying to hedge because uh, I, I always imagine that future cut edit, you know, and John, you yeah. said this way back then. Um, <laughs> very smart of you, by the way. Very, very smart. Uh, well, you say that except for the editing that we'll forget about the uh, all my other lip service your here. Caveats, your caveats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but the the in that three-year time frame, yes, you will have those types of experiences. But whether or not you are actively aware that it is a display is our entire goal. So whether or not you're aware that you're seeing the hologram or not, that's a secondary question. Um, but in terms of the wider spread adoption, because this is a very deep tech, this is not your uh, everyday go to Best Buy and pick up a you know an AK television. Um, it will be that, but you're talking in the next generation of displays beyond where you see them today. So can it, are we headed toward the holodeck? Right? Can you do a whole room? where you do the floor, you do the walls, you do everything. And so in that room, you could make an entirely other immersive world that would appear to be real. That is everything that we are living for right now. Because, you know, I know a guy <laughs> who happens to work for that company that makes that IP. So wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, here's like, if I put my brain and my mouth in the voice of an investor, right? Um, I would ask you, is part of the challenge with this the exponential expense? Because one of the things I know about display technology is as you build density, you get exponentially higher costs. So when you go into an Apple store and see their amazing, fairly dense display that covers the whole wall, that's an extraordinarily expensive display. And there's value to it in the cachet of Apple having that. But if you stand... 10 feet further back from it, you could put a display to your point about the iPhone versus the movie screen that would effectively, even with 2020 vision, look the same to that viewer from 10 feet further back. So there's always a right density for the right application and the right size, right? Correct. Do you believe when you talk to your investors, kind of similar to Roni's question, is the trajectory so many years in the future to bring the cost down to the logical like even for massive display tech, like, you know, you go to Times Square and the, and the big 
fairly high density display in uh, on the front of the Marriott Marquis is actually not that high density because you're never standing that close to it, right? It just looks high density. And that, but if they made it too high density, it would literally be cost ineffective. It would be so expensive, even with today's technology, that you could never even deploy it. It would just be ridiculous, the cost of it, mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So the question is, if I'm an investor and I want to, you know, continue your, help you continue your journey, am I going to be alive to see this actually come into a commercial um, realm or not, right? I mean, do you yeah. Yeah. You feel, this is one of those questions, of course, if you chop this up, <laughs> another one you get you in trouble, but do you really feel that it's viable, that, that you can make these things cheap enough eventually? And is that, to Roni's point, is that 10 years out, 20 years out? I mean, that's a very tough question to a founder who obviously has to believe in it. Otherwise, why would he be doing it? In, but, in, all, but, but from an investor's perspective, I want to hear his... Yeah, it's validity on no, I believe it, and this is why, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, so and and uh, I have like a, a, a brotherhood with Roni because he's gone through all of this as well. Um, so absolutely, and I'll tell you why it's because when you're talking about the, the cost of some display that is such a dramatic deviation from the standards that are out there the exponential costs are because you have to go through the fabrication process and you have all the tooling of everything else that is now an abnormal thing to do. We're able to actually leverage the existing commodity pixel structures that are out there and literally fuse silicon together. And in okay. doing so, now I have a linear cost structure versus an exponential cost structure. Right, that's interesting, yeah. Right. And that is part of these nanoparticles and these polymers. Well, I can go into all the chemistry and geek out forever and how much time. OK, I won't do that, I promise. Uh, but it is a linear cost. We're actually when you look at it on a cost per pixel basis, and I hate to dive too deep into business stuff here, uh, we are dramatically less expensive than the equivalent if you were to try and just do it with a whole bunch of tiled 4K displays. And that's where, yeah, absolutely. This is not a 100-year, 5,000-year vision. This is something that you're able to do in a, in a time frame that is out-competing that seven-year 4X and resolution cycle. We're actually already higher than anything that any manufacturer could produce in the next 100 years. Uh, Charlie, before we, before we kind of wrap up, I just want to give John a no response required unsolicited piece of advice from a founder to a founder. Free um, consulting, go for it. I love it. Basically, where you are, my gut, if you've done what I think you've done, there are Sony, Apple, Samsung, a couple others. If you've actually done what you've done, you're you're in the zone where it's it, it's probably the right moment to be inside one of those companies. The journey past this point, which I took, is exponentially more insanely difficult. And the capital raising is exponentially more difficult than anything you've encountered to date. So if you really have what you have, uh, those are the kind of companies who have all the scale and everything to take what you've done and bring it to the world much faster than you ever could as a startup. No answer needed, unsolicited advice. Uh, anyway, those guys are his investors. Those guys are all his investors. Yeah. And, yeah, but and, one, and of them's running, I, I, one of them's got to win. One of them's got to win. Uh, yeah, I, I very much appreciate and understand exactly what you're saying, and it's not lost on me. So I appreciate it. We should uh, we should go grab a drink at some point. It'll be fun. Um, sure. <laughs> the I mean, we we have LG, we have Samsung as some of our very large uh, investors, and I don't have any 
um, illusion about what it takes to go into mass production. They do it extremely well. They are the largest in the entire world. Those are the types of partners that you need in order to get to scale. So I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and those partners, there's a very obvious and very strategic reason why they invest in a company like yours. And it is very self-serving, <laughs> as to Rody's point. Yeah, but, no, they, but one of them has they, to win, right? You can't use one of them. You to succeed. They want you to succeed inside their realm. They do not want you to succeed outside of their realm. We, it's we, we, we understand it's a question of build or buy. We understand. Yeah. Well, that, that, awesome. that is all the time we have. As I'm sure those of you listening can tell, we could go on for an awfully long time about this topic. It just depends on how deep in the weeds you want to let these guys get. Uh, <laughs> in, in a half an hour, uh, there's not uh, very deep that we can go. I do have one parting shot for you, John. It, uh -oh. you know, you've shown me demos that are animated, that you know wanted to look real, that I wanted to reach out and touch. But I think there's a different way to fool people. Invite people into that room with nothing in it except for a table. Um, and, you know, have bottles of water on the table uh, and you have a bottle of water in your hand and you hand the bottle of water to Charlie or whoever happens to walk in the air in the room. And um, whether I take the bottle or not, uh, instruct me to put it on the table and it falls through the table. And that's when I'm like, oh, my God, this isn't a real table, but it fooled me completely. Um, that would be the demo to do rather than the creator of light as much fun as he was. Um, this, this would be a really dramatic way to blow people's mind because it does appear to be real in the physical, it appears to be a physical object. And I, and I know we're running way over time, but I, the funniest thing is that is one of the ideas that we've been playing with. <laughs> and now I've ruined it for you. Uh, <laughs> Just forget that you recommended it, and then um, we'll, right. we'll, we'll, in the future. All right. Uh, well, that's you're. It's nice of you to flatter me. And if a, any of if any of our listeners, if any of our listeners are fascinated by this, find a way to go see a real static hologram somewhere in a museum. In a in a. a, a I, was just, I was just googling it. There actually are a couple of galleries in New York that um, display photo holographic art that is more like what you were talking about from the 70s and the 80s. It is a remarkable the, experience. The museum closed in 1992, it turns right. out. It, so, it's a shame they closed it because they had hundreds and hundreds of holograms. It was fantastic. But if you're interested in this space, go see a real <laughs> hologram and then hope that John can pull off this magic over the next X amount of years. We're keeping our fingers crossed, John. We're John, John, come back, John. It was great talking to you. Gentlemen, have a too. great weekend. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody at home, and we'll see you next Friday. Cheers. See you. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it.